Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm trying to t- speak intelligently here because I'm bringing up all the stats and whatnot. And... <laughs> you speaking intelligently? The freshman snaps down, kicks on the way, and it is good. A 24-yard field goal at the buzzer for Chad Ryland, and Eastern Michigan takes down Purdue. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the second edition of the 2018 season of the Hammer and Rails Football Podcast, which, uh, Juan, didn't we have a better name that somebody came up with for this? Yeah, the only suggestion that we saw was hammer and ales hammer and ales well we're, we're definitely going to need some ales after uh yesterday's loss to eastern michigan not only uh did purdue lose but we managed to lose most of our following on this podcast uh ledman said he would rather watch uh, sharp objects tonight than discuss the podcast and uh, Kyle was going to be in, but he is discussing the results of a bridal shower. So it, it's a dark time, Purdue football. I mean, we're losing. We we've lost out to a bridal shower and an HBO show tonight. So uh, I mean, to be honest, be- do they ever contribute much anyway? Yeah, true. I know. Was it was it you or Ledman that lost internet and everything yesterday? Oh, that was Ledman. Oh, okay, and, yeah. And he was I- mad about it, and I'm like. You know what? I think Comcast did you a favor. Like, it's very yeah. rare that Comcast does people favors, but 
It helped then. Yeah, because yeah, he, he complained about missing the ending of the game, and he, he didn't miss anything. And he would have been watching it from the comfort of his apartment in the Baltimore area, whereas I was sitting in Section C4 of Shively and had a, had a beautiful view of Purdue giving up a just a back-breaking 4th and 15, and then Eastern Michigan driving down for the game-winning field goal. And it was just, it, it was as brutal in the stadium as you can possibly imagine. And... It, yes, but was, you were also in the club, and you had a roof over your head, like you know. So I feel like for our listeners, you know, who are actually at the game and stayed in the for the whole time and were in the rain, mm-hmm. I feel like they have more rights to complain than you do. Than both. Well, of us. I did. I did sit outside. I mean, Ooh, I, I didn't. Oh just... man, look at big boy Travis taking on some rain. <laughs> But to be honest, it was one of those games where about with about five minutes or so to go in the fourth or in the third quarter and Purdue's leading, but they're not really putting Emu away. You just kind of felt it coming, honestly. It, it, it was such a strange type of game that way where the teams are trading punts and Purdue had a pretty critical fumble there. Um, that was the one that, uh, Markel had as he's going, uh, about the 37 yard line and whatnot and Purdue's driving. Y- you just felt that it was coming even, even though Purdue was leading. And after Emu went down and scored a touchdown and then Purdue responded immediately and got the DJ Knox touchdown, you know, you had some confidence there. Then you have the interception on the great play by, uh, Kai Higgins, uh, off the tip pass from Giovanni Revere. And it looked like Purdue was going to be in business and put that game away. And really, it came down at that point almost to about half an inch. Because if uh, Jared Sparks, and obviously it's hard for him to control it, falling backwards and whatnot, he makes one heck of a catch, but his foot comes down about a half an inch on the out-of-bounds line. And despite everything else that happened after that, if he just gets somehow gets his foot in a split-second earlier and gets it down a split second earlier Purdue's got first and goal from the one and they probably go in to win this uh, win the game because they had a two-point lead and they were going to be first and goal inside the one you're looking at the difference of about half an inch despite everything else right there well and two then Spencer Avids ended up missing the field goal at that point I think and also you you know missed the extra point as well and it's very rare that you know when you talk about everything that went wrong you know the kicker's also involved but that was four points that were left on the off the board i'm not gonna get on the field goal too much because it was i think it was his longest attempt of the day and you know it's a soaking wet conditions out there anything beyond like 35 is going to be a crapshoot i mean the Uh, point is is that everyone can take a blame for this loss i think the only people that aren't going to get any blame actually dj knox is probably the only one who's not going to get any blame because even more rondale moore fumbled the ball in the red zone right uh, and so and that and was so one of the two fumbles that purdue lost yeah so honestly i think dj knox is probably the only one who shouldn't be running you know suicides and that really is i mean it, it really is su- that's what makes it such a frustrating loss because you can't just put point to one thing and say, yes, that's exactly what caused the loss. I mean, the Northwestern loss, which we haven't really touched on yet, and this is our first podcast since the Northwestern game too, the Northwestern loss just kind of felt like, you, yeah, you have the penalty at the end, but even if there is no penalty, there's no guarantee that Purdue goes down and scores. I mean, we had two chances before that, and we went three and out. We had already had a right. couple chances to take the lead, so that that's not as bad. Whereas this one, you know, it was kind of death by paper cuts. You have... 
the missed extra point. You have the missed field goal. You have Moore's fumble. You have Markell's fumble. <laughs> you have uh, a bunch of stalled drives. You have uh, another big play that was kind of hidden there was when Moore breaks the big 53-yard run, he probably scores if he doesn't get tackled by Jared Sparks trying to set a block in front of him. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, watching on TV, you could see Jared Sparks immediately putting his hands onto his helmet when, when he realized what he just did at that point. You know, he was trying to set a block and just ended up getting in the way. Uh, you know, and that's four points off the board because if Moore scores there, it's a touchdown. We only managed a field goal off of that drive. Right. Uh, then you have, you know, the Sparks, you know, and I'm not getting on Sparks at all. It's just, you know, it was matter of fact. His foot came down slightly on the out-of-bounds line. It comes down in bounds. That's a huge difference. And then... True, but the ball, from what I recall, was also just a tat, like, you know, the ball was also quite high. So he was yeah. going up pretty high to get it. And he I put forth the him. best possible effort on that catch. Right. Like, I can't really be mad at him for, you know, slightly going out of bounds. There. Right. You know, right. That's just, that's just bad luck and the bad time. And e- even, even the penalty that Cornell Jones got, the infamous shoving the quarterback down, which I, at first I thought was BS, but then I saw the replay and everything. And yeah, he, he shoves him after, as he's trying to get up. And that was crap. It was the right call. You don't do that in that position. Right. Yeah, I it was with about about two and a half minutes left, and I don't think Eastern Michigan had any timeouts, so they were probably going to go for it there anyway. Uh-huh. Even though we gave them the first down, we still forced a fourth and fifteen. You know, three plays later, we get yet another sack, and we force a fifth, fourth and fifteen. You've got to make that play. You've got one play to seal the game, and we reverted to the Purdue of old of giving up a wide open first down over the middle, and that was just. It, the game felt over at that point, really. Yeah, it was just bad. There's, there's no other way to put it. And what I find annoying after the loss is people are like, well, you know, we still have some of Hazel's recruits, and, you know, it, it, the weather was bad, and Eastern Michigan's not as bad as they seem. But, it's like, you know, those are stupid excuses to be making. Like, this is year two under Brom. Like, we should be seeing the improvements. And, yeah, you can use some of those excuses. But at the end of the day, this is a game that Purdue should have won. They were 17-point favorites mm-hmm. going into this game. And I got to give a lot of credit to Eastern Michigan. They're a much improved team over the last few years. Like, they went bowling in 2016, almost went bowling again last season, had not been for a few bad breaks in some of their games that gave them a losing record. I mean, they're definitely they've definitely improved, so they they deserve credit for that win as well. But Purdue shot themselves in the foot. They should have won the game, and I'm sick and tired of the excuses of you know Hazel hangover and this and that. Like, no, you gotta suck it up and own the loss. Right, and this is a chance for Brom to prove himself because great coaches and players. Yes, they're defined by their wins, but they're also defined by how they respond to these losses. Mike DeFabo put a great article out today quoting some of the stuff after the Northwestern loss. And Brom said to them afterwards, it's like, if you don't want to play for a bowl game, uh, just give me your pads now. And Because at that point, it seemed like Purdue wouldn't win another game except for maybe IU. And, you know, maybe that's what hopefully they're telling the players now. If It's like, if you just want to quit on this season after an 0-2 start, then just turn in your pads. Right. Maybe that's what they need to do. It's And... 
light a fire under everyone's ass. Yeah, and like you said, I get I do give a ton of credit to Eastern Michigan, and uh, they were they were five and seven a year ago, but they had three overtime losses and another three by less than a touchdown. So that that's not a terrible team right there. A Mac aside, that's. That's a team that it knows how to play close games. They they get in close games. They didn't have a lot of luck in said close games, but they're at least going to hang around, and that's exactly what they did yesterday. And, you know, they really only had, I think, one mistake, and that was the interception, which wasn't so much a mistake as Higgins and Revere making one heck of a play. And then, But other than that, they played a solid football game, and they managed to take advantage of enough Purdue mistakes and walked away with, well, they deserve the win. And just wait. You know, maybe Eastern Michigan ends up going 12-0 and and wins the MAC, and then they're yeah. in the playoffs just to yep. say, suck it, UCF. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our new Emu overlords. Emu overlords, yes. And Creighton's a good coach. I mean, he has done a respectable job there at – a uh, at a place that was one of the worst in all of uh, all of the FBS level, and I'm looking at their schedule right now. You know, we were their toughest game, so who? Oh, well, yeah. they've got they still have to go to San Diego State. Uh, right. That that'll but be a tricky one for them. But he's doing it at a school that's not only one of the worst, but you know, not only do you have that looming, but there's also the there was at least when I lived in Ann Arbor, there was always the talks about Eastern Michigan cutting their football program. They had already cut four other athletic programs over the, during the off season. Um, I mean, so they were like wrestling and some swim swimming teams and stuff like that. But still, like that's large and you know their football team you know it takes a lot of money to run a football team as well and so what he's been able to do is impressive can't right. deny yeah. that i mentioned that a little bit that in the last podcast as well but yeah definitely eastern michigan deserves some more respect and as much respect as we can give him it like you said it's still a game Purdue absolutely should have won you know it's like we play him again next week I would still pick us to win and just because i they we were that close and it took all it took all of Purdue's mistakes. It took the weather. It took a seventy-five yard pass and everything else for them to win by a point. And uh, it, it's just terribly frustrating. And now you're looking at a Purdue team where we're zero two. It sucks. Most people had us at minimum one and one here, but you're zero two and you've lost two games by five total points. Which, regardless of who you lose to, that's frustrating. That's terribly frustrating. You, you're looking at. Two plays really, where you're two plays from two and zero as opposed to zero and two, and it reminds me reminds me a lot of the uh, 2002 season where we finished regular season I think six and six, and all six losses were I think by some absurd like 22 points or something like that. You know, it, it's frustrating, but the good news is is you do have uh, you do have a lot of football left to play. I mean, it's a cliched thing, but it's also true, and really. Right. This loss reminds me a lot of the Rutgers game last year. You know, Purdue ran the ball well, outgained the opposition, but gave up a big play, gave up another touchdown drive, and lost by two right at the very end. And, you know, that that Rutgers loss ended up lighting quite a fire for us and whatnot. So, well, I would say that the Nebraska lost. Yeah, the Nebraska lost too. Yeah, because, you know, it lost the Rutgers and then came back the next week to blow the lead against. Nebraska as well. That was an absolute killer. I think that's what I remember that game and just like thinking, you know what? The only team we're going to beat now is Illinois. And for a while, it seemed that way until they beat Iowa. 
But mm-hmm. again, it's just yeah. How does Braun turn this around again? And and it's I would say, you know, I I was originally all on board. My original prediction was nine and three, and you know I, I had a lot of oh you sweet summer child. Uh, I you know what? And again, I would look like a damn genius right now for one or two plays. I still think that this team can win six games, but I'm I'm naive enough to think that if they were 0-6 with six games left on the schedule, yes, they can still win six games. But of the 10 ge- games remaining, I would say we have a realistic shot of winning seven of them individually, you know, just looking at them in a vacuum. And then the I mean, only ones that I think are kind of out of reach are Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan State. And even Michigan State's looking kind of shaky enough to be like, eh, you never know. A couple, some good luck there, some good luck here. You never know. I mean, if Purdue plays the same way they have in the last two games, average it out, I would say there would be probably Illinois yeah. and maybe Indiana just because it's a rivalry. Yeah, but you're accurate there. Maybe they, Minnesota. I don't know. Right. Yeah, Minnesota too. So, but that, but again, that's if they don't change course, mm-hmm. with, and or maybe just slightly improve, like based on these last two games. So again, like if I'm gonna predict Purdue to be winning these games, like I need to see tangible improvement. Like I know that on defense, there's been a lot of losses and stuff like that, but you know, you can't be giving up these huge plays down the middle. Mm-hmm. of the field like it's fourth and 15 of course they're going to throw it like maybe cover the receivers maybe don't do the oh let's start tack let's start covering them once they get the ball and but other than that you know let's just give them about five yards right and but even then we still only gave up 20 points and i i think more of the problem right now is offensively um running game was fantastic yesterday it was the first time in 16 years we had two 100-yard rushers in the same game, which is astounding to me. DJ Knox has been playing incredibly hard. He's on pace for a 1,000-yard season, which is fantastic. But uh, you said it best on Twitter yesterday. Last year, it seemed like Blau and Sindelar brought out the best in each other. This year, I mean, other than that drive Sindelar had for the touchdown just before halftime, and, you know, again, you talk about the defense there, immediately giving up a field goal drive right after that. But right. other than that, Sindelar didn't really do a whole lot yesterday. No, neither one were impressive. And honestly, both of them have relied so heavily on the on Rondale Moore and the rush and the rushing game as well. Um, Rondale Moore and Jared Sparks have 21 of our 44 receptions on the season. Yeah, that's not great. No. Um, I mean, there's I don't know what else to say other than there's, there just needs to be some serious improvement here. And, and I. I I really think that Brom just needs to pick a guy at this point. We we know what we've got with them, and I, I'm afraid he's going to get going back and forth with him last year. And for whatever reason, it worked last year. It, it's not working this year. He's stuck with Sindelar after up until his third interception as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you know they have the fear of like, oh, I'm going to get pulled because you know they couldn't. They so Brom lets them stay out there and makes mistakes. But yeah, it's just it's just things are just not working on both sides of the ball. Like I know you said that we only gave up 20 points as well, but at the same time, it gave up 31 to Northwestern. They only scored seven points yesterday against Duke in a loss. We at least shut them out in the second half. I mean, the defense played well in the second half against Northwestern to give us a chance. 
Right. Yeah, we'll give them credit there. They did come out a bit more fired up. And, you know, at the end, they were tired because the offense was not giving them enough time to rest. Like, the off when you when your offense goes three and out back-to-back back, back times, the defense doesn't get much time to rest there as well. So, yes, I can't give them credit there. But you can't also give up a 30. I mean, granted, 21 of those points came off turnovers. But still, like, let's not, let's not give them a 31-point head start here as well. Right. And... It's almost like when the defense screws up, it's it's even it more impactful than it should be. It's like, yeah, they only gave up 20 points yesterday, but those two drives at the end of each half, especially the one at the end of the first half. I mean, I, I think I said it in my rap. If they get a stop on just the first play with a minute to go and Eastern Michigan had no timeouts, that's the other factor here that's so frustrating. If they just prevent the 13-yard run on the first play, Eastern Michigan probably takes a knee and goes into halftime and they just let the clock run out. But because they gave up one play, it's like, oh, hey, we've got a chance to get something here. That kind of energized everything. And they were able to get down and get that field goal right before halftime. And then, you know, you have the two critical penalties at the end of each game so far that I, I think the Northwestern one, obviously that one clinched the game, whereas the one against EMU just kind of kept it going longer and kept their drive going. But you got to be more disciplined than that. It's ridiculous. That said, we do have the Missouri Tigers coming to town this week. Um, It's very interesting because I I still view it as a winnable game. It was one where last year Purdue went to Columbia, Missouri and shocked many people with a blowout 35 to three win. And I'm not expecting that again. But I mean, this is a team that for whatever reason last season, we matched up with them really well. And uh, yeah, they're coming in at two and oh, they have a win over FCS Tennessee Martin 51 14. And then yesterday they beat Wyoming 40 to 13. So they've got two wins over some marginal competition and they've had a strong offense in that. But, uh, you know, again, this is a team that we ended up beating last year pretty easily. And it will be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, I think it's kind of a must win, not from the is Brom going to get fired or anything, but just the you need to turn it around. I mean, most people thought that conservatively two and two in these first four home games would have been a good sign. And you've got two winnable games here and you get both of them, then not necessarily all is forgiven, but at least you're showing improvement when you say. It feels like we're entering this game the same way kind of Mizzou entered last year's game, if that makes any sense. Like mm-hmm. last year, Missouri entered the game like, you know, they were a complete mess. They had just fired the defensive coordinator. Like, we're not at that level yet. But it seems like the tides have definitely turned in this case. Like, yeah, we did beat Missouri by a bunch, but, you know, they they were in complete disarray. And now, now we're the team in disarray right now. So I do think this is a must win for the season, at least. Like, this could be a game that you point the players you could we could point back to at the end of the year and be like this was a turning point for the season like so i do think that this is a absolute must win for this season mm-hmm. and, and it, it can definitely define where this team will go win the game and you can talk about maybe getting five wins you can push for a bowl bowl win lose the game and the conversation becomes will purdue go to and ten right because boston college is already receiving votes in the ap poll I, they were receiving po- points in the preseason poll, so I assume they'd still be receiving votes now because they haven't lost yet. So they yeah, could very just, well I come into Ross ranked. Yeah, I just brought it up. Uh, Boston College 
they're one of the first three or four teams outside of uh, outside of the top 25. Uh, Missouri has eight votes in the AP poll, but not any in the coaches poll. So Missouri is getting at least a look, but Boston College is getting more of a look. Really, it's a case of they're, they're kind of in the same boat there as Northwestern because Northwestern was receiving votes, too. If you can hang with Northwestern, you can hang with Boston College and Missouri. I mean, I would rather win these games rather than hang out with. The oh, teams. I agree still a loss at the end of the day oh i i agree but what i'm saying is we should at least have a chance to win and i think like you said it, i think it's it, i think it's a must win also just be like okay how are these guys going to respond and i trust brahm a lot more than i trust hazel mostly because we have some actual tangible results of how brahm's teams have responded last year they had the rutgers and nebraska losses which were very similar to the Northwestern and Eastern Michigan losses here, and they came out and won four of the next five and got themselves to a bowl and won a bowl. You know, we've at least seen that Brom can get his team to respond, mm-hmm. and that that's what gives me some faith in it. Uh, a lot, there were some people turning on him yesterday. I still think it's very, very early, but it, like I said, Brom at least has a track record of, all right, this guy's done this before. Let's not just totally turn on him on one really, really bad loss. It, it'll be interesting to see what the players do, too. I, I would love to see them come out and, a lot like last year, just come out. They're mad. They play with some confidence, and they get a quick couple scores and, you know, take control of the game because we haven't seen them do that yet. Um, we haven't. We have struggled to score early, and we've struggled to score in the red zone. We are two of seven on red zone trips to generate touchdowns, which is the worst in the big 10 right now. And, uh, and we, we just need some, uh, we need a good start on this. You know, Missouri's got a solid quarterback with drew lock, but again, he's a guy that we were able to contain last year. So it, it'll be interesting because we gave him 300 yards passing to a guy that couldn't hack it at Iowa, uh, yesterday. So, you know, Missouri's going to be a good team. They're going to be a good challenge. They're better than Eastern Michigan, but at the same time, it's, they're not some unbeatable juggernaut like uh, I would be totally shocked if we were to upset Ohio State or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, even, but even now, I'm still not feeling that optimistic about it. I hate to say it, but I think Purdue is going to lose on Saturday. And, and I kind of expect it to. I hope I'm wrong, but there, there's just a, what's going wrong right now. They're fixable problems, but at the same time, they still need to be fixed. And right. I don't know. It's it's just there. There's a lot going on, and I I think the biggest thing is is we need to get some more consistent quarterback play. And the offense was supposed to carry this team, and I think for the most part, the defense has has uh, done its job. But the I off- wouldn't go that far because the defense is still giving up big plays. Like again, that fourth and fifteen, and you know all the other log multi. You know, the seven yard play, seven plus yard plays that they've given up as well. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot to improve there. Well, like, I know you can say that they've only gave up 20 points to email and 21 points handed to them because of the offense, get, you know, throwing interceptions. But still, like, there's a lot to improve there on the defensive front as well. Like, they were still, the, that defense still gave up a lot of yards le- last year. Like, they were just in the bend and don't break format. Now I they look it, like France in 1940 in World right. War II. I think that, uh, let me rephrase it then. I think the defense has played well enough that if the offense were performing at the expectations that we had before the season, we would be doing a lot better. And, well, okay. of course, that's easy to say because, well, we needed 
five more points against Northwestern and two yesterday, and we'd win. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's that's easy to say. It's a mess, but I have faith in Brown turning this around, but I yeah. want to see it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I not going to proclaim that's going to happen, but I want to see it. I have the faith in him turning it around. It, it, you know, it may just mean we have to be a little bit more patient and wait for what should be a solid recruiting class uh, coming in this year, which is going to be 20, 25 spaces better than any recruiting class he's working with of the five that are part of the roster right now. And I know people are worried about him losing said recruits. I think, if anything, it shows that they can come in and play immediately. And this is true. Gonna give him a shot. This is true, but yeah, you know, gotta work with what you have as well. Right. I mean, the, you know, the unfortunate thing is, is right now our best defensive end is uh, across town playing his senior season at West Lafayette High School and legally can't come over and play for us yet. But at the same time, you know, if we're we can't just feel we can't just wait till next year and hope we fill up the field with a bunch of freshmen. Right. You got to develop some leadership this year too. Right, and it's. It's a strange balance because it's like you kind of feel like this is a bit of a gap to fill in for next year, and then you still need to develop the leaders for next season while those freshmen make their freshman mistakes and everything else. So, you know, it's it's hard to think long-term like that, but at the same time, it's also exciting to think long-term like that. Unlike Hazel, when you're just like, well, if he has about 15 guys that are two stars, uh, surprise everybody. But this is a problem that every college coach is going to face. Granted, it might right now might be a bit more extreme for Brom because, you know, what Hazel had left and all of that. But, you know, it's not a unique problem. It can be a problem. Right. It's, it seems like we're in a good position. We're building a good position for about 2020 or 2021 right now. <laughs> it's just going to be hard in the... It's, it's hard to keep your eyes on that in the interim, and you still want to win and be competitive in the interim, too. Right. And I, I think we'll see that. I mean, I, I don't think we're just, even if we have the nightmare and finish 2-10 and 10 this year, I don't think it's a we get blown out in every game type of 2-10. and 10. It's going to be one of those frustrating, oh, we lost to Missouri by 6. We lost to Boston College by 3. We lost to Minnesota by 7 on the road, and just... It's like 2009 all over again. Right, right. Yeah, you you said it exactly right there. 2009, we went five and seven, and could have easily been ten and two. Right. But <laughs> that that it, it is what it is. But uh, to end this podcast tonight on a more positive note, uh, and referring to players that came out of nowhere, perform well above their recruiting rankings, our beloved Drew Brees. Our Lord and Savior, Breezes, uh, is actually closing in on some NFL all-time marks, which is just incredible to say. It, it was amazing that I got to see this kid play as a redshirt freshman way back in during the 1997 season when nobody knew who he was. And it was just kind of the, oh, hey, who's this Breeze kid playing after Billy Dickin? Uh, as of tonight, yeah, he, he should be able to sue his defense for malpractice uh, as the Saints gave up 48 points. But uh, Breeze typical was Saints. Mad. Yeah, typical Saints. But uh, he went full mad bomber on him as usual. 38 some odd completions, three touchdowns, 400 some odd yards. As of tonight, he needs 41 completions for the uh, NFL all-time completions mark, which is just incredible. I mean, that that's a record that will fall either next week or the following week. And then he needs about 1,100, uh, 1100 uh, more yards or so 
to get the all-time NFL yardage mark. And again, those, those are just impressive numbers. And I know that a lot of these records are getting, you know, just astronomically high uh, because if you look at like the passing yardage, the passing yardage mark has been broken a couple of times here within recent seasons. Dan Marino used to have it at 61,361 yards. He's now fifth and uh, Peyton Manning broke it by 10,000 yards. The the four guys that have bit, that have passed Marino uh, have been active within the past few seasons. So it's just amazing to see that our guy is closing in on being essentially the greatest of all time at his position. But he's probably going to hold that record for a while, you know, once he gets there. Because I don't know what other quarterbacks there would be right now in the NFL that could possibly surpass it other than maybe Tom Brady if he plays until he's 102. That, but... that is the thing is he's kind of in a race with Brady. He he was coming into today. He was tied with Brady on the touchdowns, Mark, because he needs 48 more touchdowns for the touchdowns record, too. That's more likely going to fall next season. But Brady is behind him by about 4,000 yards. And then in terms of completions, he uh, Brady is behind Breeze by about 600 uh, so you're, you're looking, as you said, you know, this, these are records that are going to stay for a while. Um, the only one that might have a semi-decent chance of catching him, again, would have to stay around Matt Ryan's at 3,600 and change in, in uh, completions. And these are also marks that Breeze hasn't set yet. He, he's going to finish this season. There's a strong chance he's going to play next season as well. So, like you said, they will likely stay for a while unless Brady catches him. Yeah, and it's just amazing to think what Breeze has done playing on some very crappy teams. He was at the Chargers for a while. And, you know, Chargers are going to be the Chargers. You know, the Saints have never... Like, outside of maybe their Super Bowl run, they've never really had a great defense either. So he's been slinging it all over. And, you know, if had the Saints the Saints had a decent defense, perhaps Breeze could have one or maybe even a third Super Bowl or one more or two more Super Bowl wins. And it's really hard to win more than two Super Bowls. I mean, there, there's a couple of guys that have two, like Roethlisberger has two, Manning has two. Uh, but, you know, even far for all he did, he has one Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I got I to gotta give a ton of credit to Brady with five, and then he's played in, I think, eight, which is obscene. But we also know that Brady is not going – he wouldn't be who he is because he, he has always had a Purdue player on the team with him. If he didn't have Purdue guys, he, he wouldn't be shit. Right. Well, and also, you know, New England has realized that, you know, it's very helpful to have a very good team around you. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I, I, Brady is good. I can't deny that. But honestly, I think he gets way too much credit for what the Patriots have done. Like the Patriots have always had a great defense as well. They have an amazing offensive line that have been able to keep Brady, you know, protected for a lot of it and a great offense around him. Like I want to see Tom Brady play on the Browns. And if he can take him to the playoffs, then I will say that Tom Brady is the best football player that has ever existed. But and as long as he stays in his cushy job with the Patriots, I'll admit he's a good, great player and deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, he, I think the team around him is the reason why he has five ranks. <laughs> well, he, here's another uh, fun Drew Brees stat. There have been nine seasons in NFL history where a quarterback has thrown for at least 5,000 yards, and only nine. Brees has done it five times. 
he would have the record, but Man- Manning broke the record by a single yard in 2013 for 5,477 to 5,476. So, like you said, he has had to go out there and to make the Saints competitive, he is slinging it around at an unprecedented rate and doing it in his mid to late 30s, too. It's just, it's incredible what he's done. And, and, also, of those nine 5,000-yard passing seasons, eight of them have been since 2008. Uh, Mar- Dan Marino was the only one that has it before 2008. He threw for 5,084 in 1984. Uh, so, obviously, part of that is just where the modern NFL is and all that. You know, that's, that's a scene that he has five of the nine 5,000-yard passing seasons. No one else has more than one because it's Marino, Stafford, Brady, and Manning each have one season of 5,000 yards. That's our guy. We love Drew, our Lord and Savior Breezes. And like Juan said uh, before we got the podcast really recording, uh, we need to check and see if he has any eligibility left. I I know he didn't play much as a freshman, so I think we could give him another year. I think we need to make it happen. Or, you know, all of a sudden we see uh, Brew Drees suddenly take the field. Or, you know, we create a, you know, a John Doe person. Oh, yeah, he was. He was there the whole time, you know. It's the John Hart situation. We just forgot to write him, in, write him into the roster. Just give us a fifteen-yard penalty. Well, uh, I think we're I think we're about ten year ten years short of uh, getting the uh, first of the Breeze kids to show up too, aren't we? I think we're getting there. You know, as long as the, if the Breeze can become like if the Breeze family can become like the Anthrops two point Oh, sweet goodness, that'd be that wonderful. Would be amazing. And, you know, here we can span it, uh, you know, into women's basketball as well or women's soccer, whatever his daughters choose to play, volleyball, et cetera. Yeah. You know? Well, he's got, he's got three boys and a girl, and I think the girl is the youngest. So. All right. Well, we, we, we could have three straight breeze, three straight breezes come through. We could have like 10 years of oh, 10 years of breeze quarterbacks with uh, Brom getting the machine going. I mean, you just you think Saban's scared of us now. <laughs> well, we'll have to see. Because I remember Brian Greasy was saying the reason why he didn't choose the reason, even though he had an offer from Purdue, the whole reason why he decided not to go was because he didn't want to have to live under his father's shadow as well. So, you know, what? let's just push. Let's push him towards basketball. How about that? You know, let's start a breeze legacy in Mackey Arena instead. I I believe Drew was a decent high school basketball player. So there's there's some hope there. We can finally establish a soccer team for men's perhaps and get a breeze player on there. And besides, you mentioned it was Brian Greasy who unfortunately forgot that he was Brian Greasy. I mean, what did he ever do? Or was he the guy, did he win the national title at Michigan or no? Yeah, that was his senior year. He walked on at Michigan, despite having the offer from Purdue. Oh, dear. It was also, you know, the Coletto years. So, could you blame him? (laughs) Let's be honest. True. True. Uh, uh, okay, so they they won the Super Bowl in 2009, and I know his oldest boy was there, like a year old. So, yeah, we're we're about eight or nine years from the first from uh, the first of the Breeze boys coming along, Balen Bowen and Callen. It says so. Let's get all three of them, and uh, just uh, we'll have that pipeline coming through. All righty. So with that, we have uh, waxed poetic about our uh, our hetero man crush, Drew Breeze. Juan, do you have any final thoughts for us before we go? Really need to turn that ship around with Purdue. I mean, I'm predicting Purdue to lose to Mizzou, but I, I, I'm still going to watch. I still believe in Brom, but I got to see it. It's yeah. you got to see it now. No more talking. Uh, I, I am doing the actual double on Saturday. I am 
going up Friday night. I am staying outside of Toledo, and we are going to see Mrs. T. Mills, University of Miami Hurricanes, play Toledo at noon on Saturday, and then we will blazing our way across U.S. 24 to get to Lafayette. No, no you won't. So, well, you will uh, not be blazing on U.S. 24, because last time you did that, you got a speeding ticket. Oh, well, I'll be blazing once I get back into the good state of Indiana, as opposed to Paulding County, Ohio, which can go f*** themselves. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. I mean, granted, Ohio is uh, the worst state in the union, uh, followed by Florida. So, yes. uh, So the quick backstory there is I went up to Detroit this summer to see, uh, gave it for the Tigers, knock it off my son's stadium list. And as we were going across uh, US-24, right in Paulding County, Ohio, they had at least five Ohio State troopers within the first six miles. And I got nailed for a speeding ticket. I think it was something absurd like a 68 and a 60. That's why Paulding County, Ohio can go F themselves. Thank you. Yeah, it's 65 throughout that stretch. But I'm pretty sure you told us you were going like 74 or something at that point. But still, it was reasonable. It's a gigantic highway. They can deal with there, it. There's no, there's no such thing as reasonable in the state of Ohio. <laughs> As you can tell by the state of affairs in Columbus right now. (laughs) And on that note, we are going to wrap this up. Uh, My hot take is we're beating Missouri. It's happening. And we're going to look like a completely different right now. Yeah, but we are we are going to come out. We're going we're going to take advantage of playing at home with another good atmosphere. I'm still going to be pushing this team. And I know that I know Purdue fans for the most part are going to be backing them and i think we're going to look like a completely different football team and uh, take down missouri on saturday night so with that in mind we thank you for listening and thank you for supporting the football team uh, we're still going to get through this and uh, get past this minor minor bump in the road along to something better under jeff Brahms. so for juan and for the rest of the writers and of course myself t-mill i'm saying thank you for listening and boiler up